John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. And the idea is probably from falling away from following me, just abandoning me. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Uh, what a paradoxical passage. Uh, in the midst of John 13 through 17, repeatedly Christ says, I love you. The Father loves you. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Love, love, love. And us, he must tell us probably 10 to 15 times, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. And then he says, by the way, I want to fill you in on something. You're going to be hated because you're my follower. You're going to be hated because you're identified with me. Uh, that is so amazing. So we want to consider a little bit this morning, we've been called to love in a hateful world, a world full of hate. Uh, I just saw in the paper today that someone says, I no longer trust fellow Americans. I remain cautious wherever I go because I don't consider it safe anymore to be in America. I thought that was an astounding word. Not necessarily safe, but you know, 
my family, we lived along cutting in Richmond. Is that safe? Is your neighborhood safe? How many bars do you have on your windows? Things have changed immensely. Things have changed immensely. Let's take a journey here. We're in the world, but we're not of it. When we talk about the world, um, there's different ways it's used. It's used of terra firma, geography. Uh, we're all in the world insofar as I think you're walking on dirt or cement or something. You're here on the earth. Uh, we're in the world in that sense. Geography, we can't escape that. Uh, we're, we're a part of uh, humanity on one level. And so we can't escape the fact we're human beings if you're thinking of the world in that sense. But when you use the word world in the book of John as a whole, it's like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Is he talking about dirt? Is he talking about geography? Places, I love places. Uh, is he talking about people? Yeah. What about people? Good people, bad people. Uh, he's talking about the whole human race viewed as bad. The race in rebellion against God and God, to meet that rebellion, did something never imagined. He decided to love it. So what is really underscored in John 3.16 is our badness and God's love. And we will see in the book of John, to be of the world is not good. It's that part, that part of humanity that is... Uh, Monitor to come together against God. Let me give you some uh, uh, definition here. I give you a definition from a fellow named Kenneth Wiest. He says, the world refers to the cosmos. Now, cosmos versus chaos. And the word cosmos means beauty, cosmetics. We're hoping that cosmetics will do a miracle for you. That it will arrange chaos. No, I mean that it will arrange, that it will uh, beautify, that it will accentuate cosmetically attired, everything from uh, facial to a room. To bring a cosmetic effect is to make it look good, well arranged, beautiful. The cosmos, though, viewed by John is this way, refers to an ordered system. It is an ordered system of which Satan is the head. His fallen angels or demons are his emissaries, and the unsaved of the human race are his subjects. Together with those purposes, pursuits, pleasures, practices, and places where God is not wanted. Much in this world system is cultured, refined, religious, and intellectual. 
But the world is anti-God and anti-Christ. And we were all a part of it at one time. We were in the world, all of us. But we have had a change. We're now seeing in John, Father, I do not pray you take them out of the world, but that you leave them in it, although they are no longer a part of it. In the world, but not of it. What does that mean? When you are born again, you get a birth to another world, from another world, and you're headed to another world so that the New Testament refers to us with these kinds of description. We are pilgrims, strangers, aliens in this world, traveling through it even as Abraham was leaving Ur, and we're traveling, searching for a new home. This world is not our home. It is no longer the source of our new nature, the source of our destiny, the source of our meaning, the source of who we are. We're in it, but we're not out of it as to source. And so, uh, you get no further than the book of Acts to see how the world hates those that have been chosen out of the world to become members of the divine family and headed to another world. You know, it's kind of like uh, not every girl on the block gets asked to go to the prom, and as soon as you get asked to go, you become resented by the rest that weren't asked. And it's an amazing thing. We've been chosen to great privilege, but those who do not enjoy the privilege learn to hate us without us even knowing it. Look at the book of Acts to see the hate fulfilled. Acts 3, Peter heals a man by the gate called Beautiful. By chapter 4, the throne in prison. They go before the Sanhedrin, they put him in prison. Uh, let's go to chapter 6, Stephen is picked as a deacon. Chapter 7, he's put on the spot to defend the faith. Uh, the Jewish leaders are persecution, first of all, what a tragedy in history. The first ones who made up the church were Jews, and the first ones to persecute Christianity were Jews. And painfully, the favor has been returned to them a millionfold, not rightfully so, but in the name of Christianity, millions of Jews have been killed wrongly. It should have never happened. But the favor was returned, a horrendous Shame on the church that we killed so many of them during the Crusades. And they've never forgotten it. That's why they consider Christianity anti-Semitic. That's the problem. We must not be anti-Semitic. But the Jews persecuted the church. So that you come to chapter 7, Stephen is stoned, and a man there, a rabbi, they lay his garments at his feet, he begins to pursue more Christians to kill. Chapter 8, the church is scattering because they're scared. They're getting out of Jerusalem because Stephen's been killed. Chapter 8, they scatter. Philip goes down to Samaria. Chapter 9, Paul becomes a believer as he's going to, to Damascus to, with letters to arrest and kill Christians. 
chapter 12, Peter and Silas. No, it's Paul and Silas in Acts 12 wind up in prison. Chapter 24 through 28, Paul is headed on a ship going to Nero, going to the man that will behead him in Rome. Persecution, persecution, per, just in the book of Acts, on and on. The, in the early days, many lies were invented both by the Jews and the Romans against Christians. They, they circulated lies like this. Christians are atheists. And they did that because they did not go to the uh, Roman and Greek pantheon of gods. And since they didn't go to their temples, they said, hey, these people are atheists. They don't believe in the gods. And they said, we don't. We believe in the God. We're not polytheists. We're one God. They said, you're an atheist. They, they had another lie they told on them. I had this happen one time when we were taking communion uh, at Holy Ghost Hall in the early days. They accused us of being cannibals. Because in the Lord's Supper, this is my body, take and eat. And I had a guy jump up in the service, you're cannibals, and ran out of the building. He really did. We had many great experiences there. <laughs> and so the lie was circulated, these Christians are cannibals. They're saying they're eating the body of Christ. They say they're drinking his blood. And so they circulated that rumor. They also circulated they were very, very immoral because they had something that went on called the love feast. And they made the love feast to be sexual orgy uh, and where they were just being immoral. They made up because the meetings were usually secret to avoid persecution. So they said, you're having secret meetings. You must be practicing immorality. Then this is the most blatant one. They accused them of incest because they always greeted each other with a kiss. And so they said, aha, incestuous. It was the kiss, kiss of peace. And it's an amazing thing. Italians can do it. They never accuse them. Huh? Can you imagine saying that to Luigi? Boom. But they said about Christians. They're into incest. So all of these lies would go about the Christian community. So they lied about them. Jewish persecution went on and on. Roman persecution. Up with the emperors, it happened over and over. Every time something went wrong in Rome, they said, kill the Christians. Uh, Nero sees Rome burn, blame the Christians. And one of the early church fathers says, the lions can only eat so many of us. If something goes wrong in Rome, kill a Christian. Kill a Christian. So what Christ said for 300 years was graphically being carried out, carried out constantly. It wasn't until about 313 and Constantine professes to become a Christian that there's finally no more Colosseum, no more lions, no more killing Christians. So you see, to be identified with Christ has always been a costly, costly thing. But America was established by people fleeing religious persecution, and a part of its constitution 
was to promise religious liberty. And we, for over 300 years, have enjoyed the greatest liberty as a nation to make God known of any people anywhere. Oh, how we need to thank God that we live in America. Thank God for America. I mean that. That we don't have to go underground. There will always be faults as long as human beings are running things, but we have been given great freedom. The thing killing the church today is not persecution. It may be other diseases. So he said, you will suffer greatly. Now, there's three reasons why he said the world will hate us. Three reasons. Let's look at them. What are, why would Christians ever be hated? Uh, let's, let's take it this way. Could you imagine that anybody would ever kill Jesus? I mean, think about it. The humblest man on the earth was Jesus, right? The meekest man. Let, let's say uh, you could pick your neighbor. And this crowd is beer guzzlers and, and, and whiskey drinkers, and gamblers, and a lot of other stuff. And over here, Jesus could be your neighbor. I mean, even if you weren't saved, you're just a pagan, who would you want for a neighbor? I mean, he's humble. He's meek. Um, I mean, can you think this way with me? Just as a human being, don't, don't even think about his deity. Why would you hate a humble man? Why would you hate somebody that doesn't want to hurt anyone? Did Jesus ever hurt anybody? Did he ever win a fist fight? I mean, is it rational to hate Jesus? You know, is he hated? Oh, well, yeah. He did go back to heaven by way of the cross. Uh, three reasons why people would hate us. And Jesus said, verse 18 and verse 20, he says, let's just take 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this world, of this the world hates you. Once you're no longer loving the same pleasures, the same pursuits, the same philosophy, uh, the same whatever the people are controlled by, because the world operates, uh, it's kind of like the puppet in the hand of Satan. It's full of lust and pride, and it appeals to us. It wants our devotion. It wants our money, wants our time, uh, our mental time, whatever. It's a, it's a rival God. It's a competitor, and it's a, a people that, its philosophy is in rebellion against God. I don't need God. I need what we have. And he said, you, when you're no longer a part of the world system, how do you get out of it? Christ saves you. He chooses you to become his follower. Twice in John 15, he says, I've chosen you. I've chosen you for myself. Once that happens, the world will some way catch on and 
they will not want you around, and they may even move it up to hating you. Think about when you got saved. Uh, I think of uh, in this church, in the early days, we had a lot of guys that had just gotten saved uh, before we started the church, and uh, uh, they were still hooked on, uh, you know, uh, they still smoking joints, still uh, hitting it a little bit, drank. They, they hadn't cleaned up their life yet, as it were, as it were. I, I mean, they were in the process. God saved them, but they still went to the old parties. They would go there. They told me this, and they light up a joint. They may have a beer with the guys, but they brought their Bible. Hey, man. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to burn up this place. And you're going to hell unless you know Jesus. Man, they told me. They said, you aren't welcome to any more of our parties. Don't come to any more of our parties. We're telling you, don't come back. Well, uh, I knew one of them. They said they threw him out physically. No, 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 we can't party with you around telling us about Jesus. He's going to come any moment. I'm just a Christian. Yeah, we know you are. Get out of here. A lot of divorces happened in the early church because guys would uh, get married. They married a nice pagan woman, and they boogied a lot, and they sinned a lot, and all of a sudden she becomes a Christian. She no longer wants to go to the idol's temple. She no longer wants to have sex with a priest up at the temple of Aphrodite. She no longer wants to go to the bar. She no longer wants to hang out the same. He's got one of these women that loves God. He hangs out with these Christians all the time. She's a fanatic. All she talks about is Jesus, and he's coming, and, and he's Lord. Isn't his word wonderful? And I love to sing his praises. You're not the woman I married. You ain't kidding I'm not. You act like you love Jesus more than me. You ain't kidding. That's easy, knowing you. You, 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 finally, you act like you're in love with this other man. I am. He died for me. He's going to rescue me. He answers my prayers. He helps me survive living with you. And the women said, amen. And the men, too, because, you know, sometimes the men get saved once in a while. But so all of a sudden, I, I, my marriage is just messed up. Christianity's ruined my home. Sure enough has. I don't want you, babe. Get out of here. First Corinthians 7. He said, if they don't want you, let them go. You're not under bondage in such situations. You're free to remarry in the Lord. You just aren't a party animal anymore. No, I'd rather be in a good prayer meeting than smoke everything that produced on the West Coast. I don't need a joint. I need Jesus. And Christianity started putting harlots out of work, pimps out of work, temples out of work. You remember when Paul got arrested in Acts 19? He delivered the girl when he cast the demon out of her for being, going around and selling idols and being used by the men. 
He set her free, prayed, and the demons went out, and they arrested him, and they had a riot, and they wound up in the great amphitheater in Ephesus just because he set a woman free. They said, you're bad on business, boy. Get out of town. I asked my dad, how did you know those mean people where you grew up got saved? He said, they break down their stills. They quit selling moonshine. These are the hills of Oklahoma. They quit whipping their wife. Uh, they start uh, bringing in a crop. They start feeding their kids. Uh, they started being decent. They start paying their bills. They no longer was pulling a knife on you or trying to kill you. You knew when they got saved, and the world crowd says, you ain't fun anymore. Two, they will hate you because they hated me first. Verse 18. And you're no better than your master. If they hated your master, wouldn't they hate his servant? Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. And then he goes down to verse 20 and says, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Oh, because they first hated Christ. Tell me, why did people hate Christ? Let me, I've just, John mentioned a few, and I want you to see. Look at John 7. John 7, verse 7. Some biblical reasons why people hated Christ. Are you there? Verse 6, I'll begin. So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. He is a testimony that what the world loves and is pursuing is evil. We don't want anybody around that messes up our party. Don't tell us what we're doing is wrong. Look at John 3. Another, he'll explain that. John 3, 16, you know that. Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light, and who was the light? Jesus Christ. You could, you could change that, that me, Jesus, the light, has come into the world, and men said, finally, some light. No, they said, we love the darkness. Hmm. Every man that goes to hell goes there because he loves darkness. So God gives him darkness for eternity. He loves the darkness rather than the light. And why is that? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. They hate Jesus because he reveals to them their sinners 
And what they're doing is against God, and they definitely need him, and they don't like it. They want to keep being told on the Titanic, all is well. And he comes aboard and says, it's a sinking vessel. You're going down. Look at going back to John 15. He says a strange kind of a verse, but I think with these others, it may open it for you. Look at what he says in uh, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Uh, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me, my father's well. It's not that they've never sinned, but I've taken away all excuse. I've given full exposure, told them by my words and miracles, this is who God is, this is what God thinks. And they said, we don't like that. You've removed all excuse for how we're living and what we're doing, and we don't like you. Tell me some lies. Don't tell me my real need. Um, there's been a strange thing that's gone on uh, in the church for probably the last 20, uh, 20 30 years. Uh, and I think it may have started out as a good thing uh, in many ways. And, and it was the term, uh, be seeker-friendly. And that is be friendly to people who visit church. Uh, let's be as nice and as kind uh, to the unsaved that we're trying to reach. And that makes sense to me. I mean, does it make sense that God says, I'm leaving you in the world to be mean to them? No, or say, no, we don't care if you come or not. Stay away, stay away, because we, we can't stand people, but we sure love Jesus. No, 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 no. If you love God, it's going to come across you can love people. Okay? Even in their unsaved condition, just like God loved us as the world. By the way, John 3, 16, that is both saved and unsaved. That's not just the world of the elect. Now, he loved me while I was bad. I was in the world at one time. That's what that, that's universal. That's, some folks say you can't tell people God loves them unless they're elect. That's not true. God loved me before I was saved. Yeah, yeah, he did. And don't quote me Calvin. Calvin didn't say it. You heard it right here. With all humility. And so in the seeker-friendly there's something I hear. I've had people tell me this. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be feeling guilty. I had a man who was advised, leave our church because he can make you feel guilty. Now, let me ask you something. If eight of you came in here this morning and you just pulled off a robbery last night, and I happen to say, thou shalt not steal, did I just make you guilty? You were guilty before I said it. I just notified you. I don't even know you did it. But when you got a congregation full of sinners, you just mention any sin and somebody's going to say, ouch. And so what you learn to do is just go into that prayer mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, we know you're guilty. 
I don't want to be made guilty. I don't want to be made feel bad. Well, why do you keep living bad? Why do you keep thinking bad? When did you become the standard? And when did the goal of the church be to make you feel good? You got to first feel bad before you could ever feel good. You got to feel bad enough to go to the doctor. Hear me. You got to feel bad enough to seek help. Men are terrible to go to doctors. The doctors all tell me this because I'm a good patient. I go just you know, for the holiday. <laughs> when I get bored, Carolyn and I, many a Monday, our, our date is going to the pharmacy. <laughs> and we take Rebecca out and have, call it a day. We went to the pharmacy, got our medicine, and took our daughter to lunch. What a date. Man, meet you at the pharmacy. You need to feel guilty when you're guilty. It's called repentance. It's, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother or my brother or my sister, Lord. It's me, it's me, it's a me, oh Lord. Talks about me, my attitude, my walk. What have I been looking at on the internet? How do I treat women? How do I treat money? Did I give in the offering today? I ought to feel good. Well, if you had it, you didn't give it, you ought to feel guilty. Well, the Bible said you should not give under compulsion. You're right. I just want you to be guilty. <laughs> Keep it. God can get his business done without any of us. But if they hated Christ, they'll hate us. And they hated Christ because he exposed them that they were in sin, that they were guilty. And they said, we've got our religion taken care of. We're all right at the synagogue. The religious rulers say we're okay. We get a little blessing. And we get the Pharisees and the Sadducees to bless us. We don't need some man coming down here and saying he's of God and we're guilty because our hearts are full of sin, full of being far, far from God. They hate us because they hate Christ. Third reason, they hate us because they do not know God. And he goes on to say that. He says it in chapter 16. He says it here. They hate me, verse 23, and they hate my father also. Why wouldn't the world hate us when it hates our God, hates our Savior, and hates us that we're no longer a part of his philosophy? It seems to be unavoidable. And what do you think God should do with the world that says this? You hated my son without a cause in him. And so is this the message I get from the world? The father could say, my son did words and deeds never done before by a man. He had all the messianic credentials. He fulfilled all the messianic prophecies and I hear the world say, I do not want him. And in essence, we said, if this is the best God can do, he can keep it. I don't need Jesus. I don't want him. I want a little religion, and I want to live like I want to live and do as I want to do, and you can keep this guy called Jesus. I don't believe his miracles. I don't believe his words, and I'm not going to buy his cross. 
And how now is God to treat such rejection? As though our sins weren't bad enough, the thing God has put in the middle of history is, there's my best offer for your sin and guilt. It's the only escape from my judgment. I have nothing else on the table. Take him or take hell. And then you'll hear a good half-drunk joke say, well, I'll be having so much fun in hell because I'll be there with all my friends. Hell is isolation. You won't be able to visit. It seems to be eternal separation from God and people. You will get your way. For the road and the door to hell is locked from the inside, and you won't unlock the door. That's why they hate Christ. That's why they will hate us. And so, as I read what has gone on in history, uh, I read from a Catholic theologian uh, who mentions, I cannot say his name well, he is a, uh, an Italian Catholic, Casile Monteferrato. He wrote on the uh, church, and uh, he says that roughly 70 million Christians have been killed for their profession of faith for the last 2,000 years. He says two-thirds of those martyrdoms started at the 20th century. And then he says this in the Catholic Journal, that he estimates 100,000 Christians have been killed every year since 1990. So we average at least 100,000 a year that are killed because they say Jesus is Lord. I get a little uh, newsletter from a Assemblies of God missionary that lived in Iran, an Iranian pastor. Tells me of all of his brothers that have been killed, how many are in hiding. Uh, underground church, North Korea, China, has incarcerated thousands of Chinese pastors. The underground church in China has been an incredible witness of the stamina of the church that could not be put out, still going. 50 million, they estimated, China. Yet killed, martyred. And oh, how they invented ways to kill us. Fox's Book of Martyr, one of the favorite ways was to melt lead and put it in both eardrums and just let the lead fry the brain. Oftentimes, turn a man upside down in a river and put a sword in his innards. And so many times, the men proved to be strong, so they would kill the man's family in front of him. That made him break more than anything else. To watch a pregnant wife disembowel, many a man gave up the faith for the moment. Oh, I want to tell you, we belong to a persecuted people. This world is no friend of grace. Never has been. Let me tell you our dangerous believers. One is isolation. I need at least seven more minutes. I'll go quick. Isolation. And that is to move away from the world 
and go and build a monastery out in the desert. God has told us to be witness to the, witnesses to the world. He did not tell us to isolate. He said, I leave you in the world. Keep them in the world, Father, but don't take them out of it. You can move to the middle of Nevada with a population of 10 and start Dry Gulch Baptist Church. But God would like for you to go where there's people. He didn't die for trees and he didn't die for the sand. And that's why the urban areas, I see a lot of young couples, you want to flee the urban because you want to protect your kid from all the corrupting influences, and they are abounding everywhere. But you know, every once in a while, they kill somebody in Iowa, and all back there is corn and hogs. I find out sin breaks out everywhere because of the Internet and all the connection. Young people think the same all the way across. The Bible Belt, kids are thinking the same way. You can't get them isolated from it. They're being corrupted. And, but out of fear, we want to move to isolation. Another thing, our big danger is assimilation. That is, we want to become like it. We don't want the world to not think uh, we're not cool. We want to be cool. And so we want to be like it. We want to imitate, uh, love its pleasures, love its this, love its that. And so we, ad we adopt. I think sports programs, you know, I think of uh, when you're... Uh, Jason and Rebecca could not make a, a sporting event for their kid. It was uh, going over the schedule, and they'd had a practice. And I was just filling in for them. And I'm the grandparent, not the parent. But the guy's rattling off the sporting uh, schedule. And all of a sudden, one of the dates just falls right on Easter. Now, there happened to be a couple other black pastors there because we were visiting during this time. And I said, Easter, a, a ball game? And I just yelled out, hey, are we a bunch of pagans? Haven't you heard Jesus rose and we have Easter once a year? And the guy kind of looked. I, if there had been ushers, I know he would have said, get this guy out. I know they kicked Jason them out of that league, but that was okay. Not really. But I just, hey, this is baloney. Can a kid play basketball without having to be here on Easter? Uh, are we going to have to be here on Christmas Day? Yeah. And I think of all our kids and sports. Got to do that. And it's a great sports looks good because it's better than them getting in trouble. It's a good way to direct energy. I think uh, becoming like the world, they say TV has done more to shape the 20th century mindset and values I mean, where would we be had we not gone up on Howdy Doody? <laughs> Man, I'm way, oh, way back. Okay, where would we be had we not fallen in love with Annette Funicello? <laughs> I mean, that's the only reason we watched Mickey Mouse was Annette. How many boys fell in love with Annette? Come on, yeah, okay, you live, yeah, come on. It's my generation. All of this stuff, and, and tech. Let's take tech. Tech's not influencing us. I mean, you're talking with someone, and all the time you're talking. My family's told me I'm not adequate to pastor because I don't have an iPhone. 
I'm just not qualified. How can you be relevant? Relevant? <laughs> I was at a conference. I asked John MacArthur, said, how did you write your books? He said, have you heard of a pencil and paper? And all the guys I was sitting with were, and he said, I've never owned a computer. I've only written 100 books, though. These guys own all the tech. They haven't written anything yet. <laughs> Man, you're so contemporary. And all your data in one day doesn't say anything. We've never listened to more trivia pursuit and lack substance and we've got more avenues of information and more trivia than we've ever had. Everybody's got access to us, and they don't have anything to say. What about dress? You know, I grew up on clothesline sermons. That meant when the preacher hadn't prepared, he'd pick on the women and tell them how to dress. But what do you do with the First Timothy 2.9 let women adorn themselves with all modesty. Uh, do you think most young people know how to come to church and adorn their body so it doesn't attract undue attention? Or do you come here looking like Brittany and we see your little navel and you get a little button and there's something? And, and you think the boy's going to worship? He's just staring. I've been praying for you. No, you haven't been praying. You've been lusting. Get that midriff covered. And what's all this cleavage falling out? Huh? You, 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 you don't come to church to show off your breast. We come to worship. We want to get vertical. And, and, and don't you men say, well, I'm just praying for her. You're not praying for her. Pray up. Pray this way. Ain't anything up there, honey, bother you. Pray up there. Lord, bless this woman next to me that's causing me to lust. No, no, no. He told the church how they ought to dress. Don't get your dress because the prostitutes of that culture and the immoral, they had different ways to adorn, attract the attention. We don't need to go to school. Hey, have you learned how to do that? Or does Hollywood or does the dress store... How many have you raised any daughters? I mean, what's the battle? I want this one. Not right there. Let's see. You know, I'm causing lust. I know. Quit your lusting. You know, it's all. I say, you want that for church? Buy her a pair of sweatpants. Man, get her a sweatshirt. I mean, the world, who, who's running God's people? The world or God? Am I dressing to please God or to seduce a boy in church? Where's my mind? Does the latest boo-boo, bebo, whatever you call them, prancing across the stage, that will be popular for about 18 months and then will be a has-been, do they determine how you're going to look? Or does the one who bought you determine how you dress? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You want to say, I dress today so God gets glory. 
I'm dressed in such a way that he'll be honored. I ain't dressing to please the world because the world doesn't know how to do anything but be seductive, to appeal to my lust, and appeal to my pride. I don't care what you say. I'm telling the truth. I know that. I know that. Well, I'm over time, and many of you are thanking the Lord. Uh, our challenge is two things. I just hush for this. I have to stop. We have a twofold challenge, as I see it. And one is, can we keep loving in a sinful, hateful world? And that's why Jesus kept telling his own, don't love the system, love one another. Because the world doesn't know how to love. They know how to use you, they know how to abuse you, but they don't know how to love. And he says to the children of God, love one another, love one another. Why does he say that the world might see? Give them a model where love is involved without lust, without manipulation, without you. We truly will sacrifice ourselves for another person. Two, we don't have time, but 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, if you're chosen to suffer for doing the right, you've been blessed and the spirit of grace and glory will rest on you. It's better to suffer for doing the right than to be accused of being a thief or a meddler. If you suffer, you've been called to follow the steps of Christ, for he's our example that though he was uh, reviled, he reviled not again. What did the church teach us how to do? How to suffer without retaliation, how to suffer without taking up a sword or an army. They died at the stake. They died in the Colosseum. Oh, that we would emulate suffering for Christ and not sinning while we suffer. That is our challenge. I must stop because I'm abusing you.